0: Hello and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. Join us as we explore his longer adventure stories in their chronological publishing order. We'll talk about what makes them so enduring, their historical context, and how well they hold up today. So get out your reprint and get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome back to Bark's Remarks. I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who loves duck comics and and really enjoys tea and nutmeg. I wouldn't say I love either of them, but um, we've got a really fascinating story to talk about. It may not be one of the the all-time greats, but there are a lot of really interesting elements to cover. But before... Uh, we get into the story. I'm very excited to introduce a new guest that's joining me today. I've got Niels Lidhjort. I didn't even ask you about your last name. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's sufficiently correct. Okay. Jort it- means deer, Hjort. complete with the antlers, etc.
0: Oh, excellent. All right, I'll try it again. Niels Nils Lidhjort uh, is yes. joining me from Norway today. Welcome, Niels.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for the privilege.
0: Absolutely, it's a pleasure to welcome you. So you've got some some really good credentials for today. You're you're highly involved in um, in Duck Comics. You've got a great background, as so many people from Scandinavia do, of course. But I understand you're a professor of mathematics. But you've also gotten to write some of the some articles or forewords for some of the collections there in Norway. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's correct, and uh, that has been fun to do, and I've been asked, which is a privilege. And uh, I think my number might be seven or eight in total uh, different prefaces for these hardcover books, and a couple of other oddball things.
0: Yeah, wonderful. I um I really enjoy having on people who have been involved in some of the commentary for the Karl Bark stories. Um, mm-hmm. They've they, you, you all tend to think about these stories in the same way that animates me, you know, thinking about the culture and the history that they came out of as well as of course the strong storytelling. Uh you also hmm. got to you've you've got a credit a a Disney Comics credit yourself um that mm-hmm. is a a pretty a pretty unusual one. Do you mind describing it for us?
1: Well, I can describe the background briefly. I have known Don Rosso for a number of years. Possibly we first met in the early 1990s when he was visiting Oslo and we have been friends, etc. And it turned out that an occasion was for me to ask Don to help my Dutch friends, who edited at the time a slightly slim special thing for the speed skating enthusiasts of the world. So this magazine, which existed for 15 years, it was called Speed Skating World. It was edited by good people in the Netherlands, and I know personally the editor. So I saw this as a combination of two gifts, so to speak. I asked Don to draw a simple story that I wrote. To so it was meant to be a little gift to the Speed Skating World magazine, and a little gift to Don because I paid them a little money. That was it. So it's on my CV, a little four-page story with Don
0: right um you're you're one of a handful of people who have like a co-credit with Don Rosa <laughs> so, for for co- collaborating in one indeed. of these stories, and it's yes. interesting because the the characters are technically their are lookalikes, they're officially yes, yes, yes. It just just for plausible deniability. Um, yes. But yeah, it's it's a very. But cool it has thing
1: been it, yeah. officially acknowledged, so to speak, by the the publishers of the world, including Egmont in Scandinavia. So it is appearing in the Don Rosa collections.
0: Right. Yeah, it does appear in some of the collections. I believe that it's not included in the U.S. Fantagraphics index. No. Doesn't list it. I haven't checked. It. I haven't. Yeah, but but it's uh, it's a fun little story. I read it myself a few months ago, and it's interesting to see that different content. Yes. Um, so let me ask you, before we get into this uh, story itself, are you a big fan of the flavor of nutmegs? Are you a tea drinker?
1: I happen to be fond of tea, but I'm not a specialist at all. And for me, a good cup of tea is a good cup of tea without necessarily going through the alphabet of the possibilities, etc. So I tend to like tea more than the classical cup of coffee, which is always present in in Scandinavian homes.
0: All right. So a little bit of an outlier there. Um, I myself am more of a coffee drinker. The only time I drink tea is when I want to treat my voice kindly. So like podcasting right now, um, yes. I should have sprinkled a little bit of nutmeg in it. I've got to admit, I've never or tried nutmeg. Next but, time, um, yes, exactly. Next time, I'll I'll give it a little sprinkle. So, a spicy tale. This should be really interesting to talk about, Niels. I when I started the podcast, I used to be much more focused on kind of what was going on in history in the first couple of episodes, I would even look at, you know, a couple of big historical events that happened during that span. But I kind of abandoned that segment. It didn't feel like it was animating people. Um, But it really does seem necessary to kind of talk about what is going on in the world around this time. So let let me just go talk about the background of the story a little bit. And then we'll we'll talk about where we are in the world. Um, We are we're in July of 1962 when this Mm sees publication. He would have written it a little bit earlier. Uh, it, It was in Uncle Scrooge number 39. And it's worth noting that he's mostly doing shorter adventure stories around this time. This is just an 18 page adventure. This has seen Fairly wide publication, according to Index, it's been printed in 23 countries around the world, 118 overall, and seven times in the United States. Now you're you're Norwegian, so I'm not expecting you to know a, a lot about American history. But it's hard to avoid we we have such a <laughs> we have such a big footprint. Well, of course. What, what do you know about um, what's going on in America?
1: I think I would be fairly well educated regarding that. And this is one year before President Kennedy dies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, to make the point, not a very important one, that we can go from Karl Barks to President Kennedy in a few steps. Then we can start opening the Scrooge 39 Spicy Tail, and sooner or later we come to the Tudor Corpsman, etc. And the background for that has, of course, many components, but one of the components is the American Peace Corps. And that was established in, I believe, 1961 or 1962, or possibly even 1960, by the insistence of President Kennedy. Why? Partly because of this little book, which I have in my hands, The Ugly American, a political novel from 1958, by authors Lederer and Burdick. I will not summarize that one, but that was a little bombshell because it brought to the American attention the uses. Of politics, in particularly Asia, what was going on? What was really the aims, and how did it work? And the short answer is, it didn't work. So, as a reflection and the consequence of that, US politics rethought some things. But anyway, they rethought things and they established the Peace Corps. And I believe the official rhetorics around that was that. Yes, now we know how to do things well, and we are doing things well. So one particular interpretation of this story as Pasitel is that BARC says, well, it doesn't really work. Because the rich Americans, the West, Western Europe, too, they come in with their plans, but the plans do not necessarily work out well. Why? Because we have not taken into account what happens on the ground.
0: I, I think it's fair. Uh, Barks himself as documented, is documented as saying this, poking gentle fun at the Peace Corps in this. Um, oh. I, I think you you definitely hit the nail on the head here, right? This is this is a pretty unique story in that there are only a handful of Barks stories where you can really kind of feel uh, in the background um, the the current you know historical uh, events are really suffusing the story. You know, I, I think about cold bargain i couldn't help but talk yes. about uh a lot of what was going on with the cold war in that one um and this one really feels like it's in the shadow mm-hmm. of the kennedy administration um, yes y- you know th- there's kind of this mix i think at the time in the country of this like awareness that the imperialism that's going on is By all means. is damaging to the U.S. Mm-hmm. To, to attitudes about the U.S. around the world, um, the United States was always even using Disney as like uh, aiding its good neighbor policy in South America. You know, that was like where where their films, the Three Caballeros, and yes. um, oh, what are those the name what uh, the name of those package films are are escaping me. But um, yes. but but you know, there was a lot of foreign policy done with the cooperation of Disney and Hollywood, and this seems like barks really reflect on these both the imperialism that the US engaged in and this supposed optimism of the Kennedy administration at the time yes. ha- have you heard the term best and brightest
1: yes filaments so, think that's yeah, so, so the best and brightest too, is kind yes. of
0: a, mm-hmm. um, that were the best and brightest of their universities, their profession, who are kind of dictating policy from on high. And I think that the Peace Corps came out of this very noble idea that well, we could go in and use our expertise to teach these, quote, savages um, how to do things right. Mm -hmm. And the Peace Corps does the early Peace Corps does come in for a lot of criticism. But my my impression is that they they were able to align themselves a little bit better. And they're, they're still going on today. So as you say, we can talk about how effective they are in this story and in real life.
1: Hmm. So just um, briefly, we will com- come back to the story in a few minutes, uh, by all means, but uh, just to point out that this is a grand ongoing half eternal theme also in Scandinavian politics, etc. How to help. And is it a given assumption that we should always accept that we should try to help and try to meddle? So it's always going on, and I think Norway might be the local world champion in terms of high budget for help to use that neutral but still noble word. So right. this is going on, and I know people who work for this.
0: Yeah, it's so it's these are very... the it is very and just relevant. another
1: footnote, when you brought in that uh, this might be one of the rather few stories where we can, if we want to, read the story and reflect on the parallels and what was going on, etc. at the time. Another story of that uh, in that club would be the Vietnam story, one of the last uh, Scrooge stories. I, I think it's possibly Scrooge number 62, which is also a running commentary on World drama.
0: Right. And, and of course, in a certain sense, you can draw some um, information about history and what was going on at the time from any of these. But what we're saying yes. is some of them are, are quite explicit about it. And and that one, the Marco Polo treasure is definitely one of those. I I alluded to Barks himself, you know, the Barks quote. So I do, if we have a little bit of background, I do like to read it. Um, You know, in following the link on index, there was a 1962 letter to Malcolm Willits, where he wrote specifically, he said the story, quote, takes a gentle poke at the Peace Corps, but gentle. I'm running out of nations which aren't fighting or rioting or committing aggression. So this story's locale was the Javaro Indian, which I've used to death along with their headshrink. Um yes. So I think there was a dictate by Western basically around this time that artists and, and writers not uh, essentially weighed into controversial, you know, war-torn real. Yes. It sounds like Barks felt a little bit constrained by that. And, that, and we'll... no.
1: Go ahead. So this is, of course, uh, one of the things that we need to be thinking about, uh, not for every story, but once in a while. The extent to which Barks felt constrained or censored. He was not completely on his own. He wrote and wrote and published and published, but he had editors, etc. And as we know, there are instances of censorship. So we don't really know, I suppose, whether Barks himself as a creative author, felt constrained at all for this story? I suppose not. I suppose I'm guessing. Possibly has said has said something about this in interviews. I don't know. But I'm guessing from the story and how it pans out, etc., that he felt sufficiently free to tell the story in this particular way. And he so possibly the keyword is gentle fun. He pokes gentle fun, not super serious, deep fun or deep criticism of what goes on.
0: Exactly. I, I think if this were done a decade earlier, it might have been a little bit more um, yes but it does but but there there doesn't seem to be any overt censorship until um until maybe the very last panel which yes, we'll be able interesting. to talk about
1: <laughs> yes um, I detected which... that when I was rereading the story some weeks ago uh, after chatting with you on Facebook so uh, to my gentle surprise I detected what I think is not only an hypothesis but it must be true that in the last Frame of the story, the last panel. Uh, let me read it out. I hope I can get this colour and chain cut off before somebody discovers what a fibber I am. And my scientific hypothesis in the literary universe is that fibber is not the box word, it has been post-edited in by a different person. We can see it from the handwriting. Right. So we can letting that really wrote liar. What a liar I am. A gentle censorship.
0: Yeah, that seems to be the case, but we can talk about maybe a couple of when yes. we come to. All right. So I, I think we're almost ready to get into the story. The one thing that Good. I do like to do beforehand is I like to... Niels, I... I'm, I'm acutely aware of how much more relevant the ducks and these comics are in parts of Europe, especially Scandinavia, notably. So I like to, as, as I call it, pander to international listeners by talking about a few of the titles from around the world. Um, and, and to me, it's very funny if I have a guest from Norway, as you are, it amuses me at least to be the one to take on the Norwegian title and hear you correct me. So, okay. Um, so let me start with <laughs> with that one okay so in norway i see that it was titled uncle scrooge on a nutmeg
1: yes that's good it's a fair translation and it's nothing particular with the title it's meant to be it's not an accurate translation of a spicy tale but it's a good title and it's pseudo neutral it doesn't try to get more into it than that Right. So, exactly. jakt is a hunt. So, I a, a back translation would be Uncle Scrooge hunting for the muskets
0: Nice. Do you mind uh saying the uh, a better pronunciation than I did? Okay. Because I'm guessing I
1: didn't get it perfect. Okay. I'm speaking to a speech therapist and specialist, so I take care. So, I will read the title twice. Uncle <laughs> Scrooge på muskatjakt. Uncle Scrooge på muskatjakt.
0: Nice. Of Thank course, you very much.
1: Muscat is muscat and Yacht is hunt or adventure, oh, sure. possibly. Well,
0: and and how about you? Which translation
1: are you oh, going to see? Of course, when I looked through the index page for this story, I was particularly curious about South American nations. So we can see that this has been published even in the 1960s in Brazil, Chile and Colombia. Uh, sorry, in Colombia, it's in 1974. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen this, but of course, uh, a little bit of a meta question to have in mind would be, how did this story go down? for the millions of readers in Brazil, Chile, and in Colombia? And the answer might be not so easy and not so well as in innocent Scandinavia 1964. Right. But that's speculation, of course. Of
0: course. Yeah, we'll definitely get into some of the the, the cultural issues, the way that this hasn't itched very well. Um, mm. But
1: go ahead. So let's go for one of the two titles in the Chile editions, because I can understand it it's una historia aromatica and i know that historia is not history it's a story in the spanish idioms of things and aromatica is of course tasting so that's a good thing and i also understand that the other title which is un cuento sabroso is more idiomatic for the spiciness of things
0: yeah, it's a pretty direct. There were a lot of pretty direct. Yes, I also I saw a French one that I thought was interesting. It was sans foi ni without faith, without nuts. So,
1: <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. I do notice thinking... on the index page that there are several French titles, but I do absolutely like sans foi ni And eine würzige Geschichte is also in the German one. It's a good and it's a semi direct translation. Which is good.
0: All right. So let's, without further ado, we're going to launch into the content of the story itself. I've got my uh, pretty vintage copy of it being published in DuckTales number 13 from Gladstone. I really, Niels, I like to pay special attention to the opening page, right? Because what Barks has to do here is both set up the story itself, but also kind of orient the character for people who might be new readers, right? Um, And this is... I, I think it's been a while since we had, or or they're less frequent than they used to, these money bin owners. I really like the money bin opening splash. We've got a very dazed Scrooge who has just spent 16 hours counting his money, complaining about the hard <laughs> life of billionaires. Uh, Poor guys. Yes. And he's proceeding to his desk where he's going to enjoy his famous zesty nutmeg tea. You know, this is the first we've heard of it, but the implication is that it's a, a ritual of his, which... Yes. um energizes him to to be able to as he said spend eight more hours counting before <laughs> calling it a day but he is dismayed to find that his tea box is empty and and he calls out to someone that we're only seeing for the second time
1: yes Mr. an important but uh, well possibly important among the minor characters in the yes. universe namely miss quackfaster Right, exactly. I, I
0: have I have some fondness for Miss Quackfaster. It's too bad that uh, she never got too much more characterization. But mm-hmm. um, he is asking her, his secretary, what what's happened. What oh, I like what he says here. What is the reason for this calamity? A great bit of dialogue that um, impresses upon us how important this is to Spruce. No, it's a fantastic is- opener. Yeah. uh, And and she explains that, you know, recently his South American suppliers stopped spending those special nutmegs you like. And and here this is pretty unusual. We're going to see Scrooge get this case of the jitters where he shakes violently, (laughs) um, almost in the way that someone who is
1: addicted. Wood, yes. saying
0: I've got to have my yes. rare wild nutmegs
1: from the upper Amazon.
0: So yes. so what are your thoughts on that?
1: So the first point is that Barks is the master, surprise, 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 and is also a master in setting up the stories. So this is a skill and I suppose there are different uh, skill sets and you can have beautiful artists telling good stories, but not necessarily setting it up in a clever intriguing funny fashion and i think master uh, box is a master also in that particular skill set of things so on the first page he uses one page before we know anything more and we already seeing something interesting and something unusual about the daily life of scrooge mcduck so we understand he works 16 plus eight hours a day it's pretty impressive and we see the lovely, interesting minor character, Miss Quack And we see this, he's trembling like an um, addict, like a heroin addict. I don't know. I don't know too many of those, so I can't uh, check carefully, but he looks like a drug addict. So, yeah, it's a fantastic yeah. opening. And then the story goes on, and sooner or later we are in, let me look it up, in... Cura the Coco Terrain, which is um, Amazonian, for Shrinka the Head in South America. But it's a lovely start of a fantastic story.
0: Yeah, it, I think you're right. This is a really strong opener, and, and it is impressive what Barks is doing, because he set up the character. We understand, if we're a first-timer, from the money bin setting. We understand the importance of the nutmeg tea, and... Um, we've just got some incredibly sharp writing. The the setting itself is already going to be hinted at or, or alluded to here. So calling him addicted here is accurate, but it, I think it's also really meant to be for comic effect. If you Google well, around- it there's a there's a lot of people who see this as an analog for like drug addict, right? Why not? Um this this is this story is just a little bit notorious online. Barks himself alluded to that he saw people in underground magazines that were mentioning that you know Scrooge is a drug addict in this one. And apparently nutmeg itself can have like a little bit of a, you know an effect that is analogous to getting a drug high. But okay. um, but but I I think take that would for be, <laughs> right. I, I think <laughs> that would be a misread of the story. I don't think he is meant to like really no. evoke drugs here. I think it's just meant to be like a essentially like a coffee addict but taken yes. So, so I, I just, just wanted can... to acknowledge it because there there is a little bit of, of kind of online wise guy chatter about Scrooge being a true drug addict
1: agree and again the word gentle would apply so it's not hardcore drug addict portraying but it's a, it's a gentle poke in that general direction if you want to see that as a reader
0: right oh I, I, he, here here's what i was alluding but he um he said it mentions um in the link from Index that that he said this was a gimmick like in the story where in which he was addicted to nutmeg tea. I've been beginning to get some clippings out of this underground mm-hmm. comic called Cream, which is a pretty famous okay. U.S. underground comic. I don't um, know about Im- it. Yeah, that implies that he was a drug addict because he was addicted to nutmeg because nutmeg taken in sufficient quantities can have an effect on your mind. The reason I chose nutmeg was that it was something that grew in the tropics and gave him an excuse to go to the tropics. Otherwise, I could have said codfish and sent him to Iceland. (laughs) Interesting. It is worth noting, by the way, that nutmeg is from the South Indies, um, from like Indonesia. It's not actually native to South America. for what it's worth. So we're going to proceed and we're going to get we're going to transition, as you say, to to cura de coco, uh, which 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 actually in Spanish means coconut cure, by the way. Yes. (laughs) Um, But we, we get one of these sequences that Barks has done before. I'm, I'm trying to remember. I think it was, what was it? The one with the butterflies with Gladstone, uh, not Gladstone, uh, in Darkest Africa. I think there was yes. a similar sequence to this in that one where mm. it's pretty clever. They, they send the message through different mediums, including like monkeys and parrots till it arrives at this remote village of the Cura de Coco Indians. And Scrooge is asking yes. them, why no more nutmeg? Do you want to tell us about the Indians' response that Scrooge eventually gets back?
1: Yes, I can come back to that after a little literary seminar footnote, because in Scandinavia, possibly more than in the States, we have a typical be fond of the magazine called The Phantom in Mm -hmm. the Bengali jungles with Diana Palmer and all these things. And um, the way to convey a message to the phantom in the Bengali jungle is very much in parallel to this. It's by a monkey and parrot and so on and so on. So to Scandinavian readers, I think this is a clear parallel on page two of the story. But anyway, after having seen Scrooge, on the bottom of page two, in another hardcore drug addict trembling situation, we find him on a plane to South America. And surprise, 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 he notices a familiar blue cap on the seat in front of him, belonging to... And
0: and really briefly, though, what is it that he learned?
1: He learned that the only way to get his daily shot... Is to get to South America to find the nutmegs himself because the usual chain uh, of transport from A to B doesn't work anymore. So right. to have his daily fix, <laughs> the poor drug addict Scrooge McDuck, he needs to go there. Right. Then, they've
0: quit. Right. They're not.
1: They're not producing them. Yes. For reasons that we come back to in the story. Right. Um, um,
0: and, and it's so a, you it's mentioned-
1: a beautiful set-up story. So everything is so nicely connected, and things hinted at at page two. We learn on page nine, etc., etc. So it's a beautiful, connected, well-structured story. So that also goes to the storytelling analysis, uh, which you post perhaps have touched in other podcasts too. Uh, and there are skills required to tell a good story. And of course, there is a repertoire of different uh, schemes. But I think in approximately one and a half line, uh, this is another story which works because Barks has a tight scheme but allowing sufficiently many gags to happen underway without interrupting the ground line.
0: I, I agree. It is, it is pretty a tight. We're going to have a very well-structured story here. I, I definitely have some quibbles with it. I don't know if it's going to be his most effective, but but as far oh. as the structure goes, I think this is a very strongly structured. Absolutely. I like the way that Donald comes into the story. You started yes. to allude to it. Um. Really quickly, though, there there is one key line here. Right. The key line of the story is when Scrooge is on the plane, he's mulling to himself the importance of getting these nuts, uh, these nutmegs secretly because he doesn't want someone to take advantage of him by cornering the market and learning about his weakness. Um, Yes. (laughs) So so he says. This will just this will be just a quiet little business trip with no fuss, no muss, no rough stuff. That's going yes. to be a repeated element so it's important <laughs> I think to highlight that.
1: Uh, you mentioned that he sees
0: a familiar cap. Tell us yes. about that.
1: On the same plane with the same <laughs> the same plane going the same place to Shrink the Head, which is the American, uh, Sud-American translation of Okora de Coco in the story, in the Amazonian language. And that familiar blue cap belongs, surprised, to his nephew, Donald Duck. And why? Because he has volunteered to be a tutor corpsman along with the nephews. So it's one of these splendid Barxian inventions. Uh, and it's so well told that we, the millions of readers, we believe it. You believe this is plausible? Why not?
0: Even though it is a a pretty big coincidence. Donald seems like a pretty unusual person to be volunteering with the Peace Corps. But um, there there are these times in the comics where he's going to throw himself very idealistically to something.
1: Why not? So this is uh, Donald in... We can draw this in a couple of dimensions, of course. And we can try to, if you really want to, to place Donald Duck... In a two-dimensional map, whatever, with coordinates, x's and y's, to see how jerky he is and how noble he is very occasionally, and how silly and how stupid and how whatever you feel in your favorite adject- adjectives. But here is uh, actually noble a decent spirit. Like he occasionally is, he is really in the 1962 US Peace Corps kind of modus and why not? It's a yeah. noble spirit. He's a tutor corpsman. Long live.
0: Right. It it matches the vibe of the United States around this time. As you say, Absolutely. he's on the noble end of that axis, but he's also on the naive end of the other axis, which I yes. think is his barks. That's probably his mindset at this yes. time. Which that's just my gap. Of course, um,
1: yes, so not uh, a four-year education to do this. He has taken a couple of uh, cur- uh, short courses in the language, etc., to know how to start again. Right, noble and. Pretty naive and innocent uh, Westworld spirit, nineteen sixty-two.
0: Yeah, and this is most people's criticism of programs like the Peace Corps: is that they're they're very well intentioned, but you get a very surface-level, shallow um, level of cultural comp, which makes them much less effective. Yes. So, so the nephews. By the way, I love I love the way Bark stages the ducks' appearance. First, he brings Donald. We right, we move one row ahead to Donald's unveiling. And then we move one more row ahead to the nephews. I love the way he staggers that moving, yes, moving it's up. fantastic,
1: her. yes, yes.
0: Um, and the nephews have done their homework. They're the ones who have researched how the Cura de Coco Indians are, quote, warlike, savage, wild men, and it, again, the tribal name, Shrinka de Head, which, <laughs> which is weird. You don't, if you translate something, you don't leave it in kind of pidgin English. So this is just no. kind of a, an artifact of, um, this was pretty commonplace by writers at the time, but is one of the things that hasn't aged well. We know that Barks really likes these uh, plays on words based on, you know, linguist, like language, essentially.
1: We have Qualma Vista in The Forbidden Valley, for example. Right, yeah, which sounded at least less pigeon like but um yes.
0: but donald freaks out he's gonna abandon the aircraft inadvisedly but you know they he resolves eventually that he's gotta go forward with it and now Scrooge has figured out essentially that this task is gonna be much harder. Um <laughs> And and as it
1: he goes from I'm not going to be the Tutor Corpse fall guy, and then Screw says, You're going to be the splatter guy, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So as usual, the Bark stories are peppered with such yeah, cute linguistic I'm- things, which I admire I- mostly. And another little footnote in the footnote is that uh, the Norwegian editions are generally speaking completely satisfying factory they are well translated but are they are missing too many of these sharp pool barks small things in the in the in the language
0: right it 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 is challenging it's challenging to translate some of these i appreciate you reading that line of dialogue because it it was worth highlighting as well so, you know, the Ducks part company because Donald has his task with the, the natives and Scrooge has his task. He doesn't yes. really want them to know. And, and he kind of sees an opportunity. He can let Donald essentially distract them. And, and so we're going to switch to the nephews, the Ducks' perspective. They yes. they see a greeting in in their helicopter ride. They see um, the Indians looking very excited with a large kettle or a cauldron bubbling. The pilot observes. That it means indigestion, Mr. Duck. They're they're <laughs> cooking a crocodile bouillabaisse for your welcoming banquet. Um, Fantastic! It is, and and Donald hastily, as he gets off, says, "Greetings, Cura de cocos. I hope you won't mind that we've just had one." I, I like
1: that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's super, th- superb. This
0: is really this this next bit. The Indians' interactions here, Neils. Sounds to me, it feels like some real commentaries right? Yes, um they they greet him. What do they say to him in greeting? Can you read Interestingly, that?
1: Interestingly, and of course, this is one of the many things which we can stare at for 20 seconds and we can ask the general meta question: Has this aged well or has it not? Because the first things being said to the nephews is welcome to the village of the ignorant, great tutor. It's a fantastic and partly scary sentence, and uh, any writer would not have written such a thing in 2023, because we are not supposed to, for hundreds of good reasons, to picture anyone living in a different society as ignorant. But here, this is the apparent self-definition of the people in this village, because they have been set up to... Because they know that the famous tutors are coming with possibly skills to be taught and possibly even well. Part of the story is that they were immense societies. They would be expecting money, but they're not. This is not a money society, so they expect something to learn to be civilized, etc. So they go into uh, food making and then bongo drums
0: right so So this goes
1: on for a couple of pages and then scrooge comes more into the story again
0: absolutely i I want to dwell just a little bit on the, on their greeting, though, because yes. I actually want to give Barks a little bit of credit here. I I am yes. frequently critical of some of his depictions, you know, which we know are outmoded, but I think he's being so tongue in cheek, yes, that, that it's really it's really swiping. It's it's directed at the Americans, right, the mm-hmm. ducks, um, and and the the attitude that someone can kind of parachute in. To a society that has, by definition, been there for thousands of years, right, yes. or centuries, or something, and is clearly doing fine in in the sense that they have a stable society that might have different That's rituals. Um, yes. So I, I think Barks is so tongue in cheek here. There, there are other ways to point it. Their, their pidgin English, you know, is is definitely outdated. But, um, yes. but I, I, I actually really like that the the way they greet him you know, there, there's going to be some language like a woman's going to refer to herself as a squaw, which is both yes. inaccurate because it's a North American term and is regarded as offensive today. But it, but it's very funny. As you say, the natives are not interested in learning about things that are going to make them, quote, more productive. They want to learn how to, they, pop culture has, has infected them. They want to learn how to do the twist and sing like, quote, Elfish Pestly, clear play
1: on Elvis's name yes good plan <laughs> I support that plan of course but All after right. a couple of pages we come back to that in a couple of minutes then Scrooge is coming back to the story so to speak and do the famous ignorant natives they have understood that there is something called being rich and they have understood that Scrooge McDuck is the world champion in richness so when Scrooge comes back to the stories in a couple of pages, they force him to teach them to become rich.
0: Right. So, so they're even they're though they don't
1: possibly know the, the basic concepts uh, they, they have learned somehow. Yeah, <laughs> the they've other, absorbed
0: a lot, apparently, from the outside world. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing worth noting is that, you know, Donald is relieved because they, they apparently seem very civilized. Um, but of course, he's invited. Right, they point out it's, yes. it's only the uninvited people that are subject to being <laughs> being dealt with violent. It, it's pretty funny too that Donald is really led by the by the natives to teach them this very frivolous stuff instead of what should be his
1: mission but he's still pretty noble in instinct because he has taken his crash course in becoming a tutor corpman and he does his best he listens to what they want and he tries to teach them the first two things namely food and bongo drums so why not? He's still let's call let's stick to that noble word. He's still noble in spirit. Right. And noble. Super naive and innocent, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: Yeah. Scrooge Definitely however is not. Dida, though. Yes. um misguided <laughs> to how he was supposed to farming. But okay. Yes. Who wants to grow food when they can sing further? Yes. Um, so as you say, Scrooge comes back into the story. We see him. There's not too much remarkable about his um gathering. The nutmegs that he does eventually find. There is this funny scene. I find the scene where he has to hide in in a tree that turns out to be the one that they're going to cut down to make a bongo drum. I find that pretty funny. Um, uh, that's
1: it's beautifully done.
0: Do you do you want to describe how that plays out?
1: Oh, I can try. So he's hoping that he can stay hidden and collect his famous nutmegs uh, to complete his aim of the expedition. So he. Hides in a tree, and surprise. This being a bark story Of course, the first thing they do is to cut on that particular tree. So we go from bongo to the bongo to the bongo to the bongo to the bongo. After which he is detected. So it's a pretty good panel on whatever it is. Page page nine, the f- the third panel where approximately eight savages, ignorance, are pointing their spears at. Uncle Scrooge saying the main point is that you be an uninvited visitor stranger. You will receive the famous Cura de Coco treatment. So that's pretty, funny, and scary and dramatic.
0: Yeah, it is all of those things at the same time. Um, yes. and, and of course, we are we are to understand that that treatment is head shrinking. Niels, yes. I got to learn about this practice when I recently did a semi-recent episode on the money champ, right? Okay. Because because we have a Javaro medicine man in that one. And, yes. and the Javaro people were real, uh, still yes. are real. They are the, the tribe that actually 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 did practice this practice a lot more gruesome as depicted in the comics, um, but it's mm. interesting in that story he referred to them by their real name, the Javaro. But it's, I think, it's the same essentially, supposed people. And of um, course,
1: in the Monty Trump, that is a crucial gag at the at the end of the story. Right.
0: So, so you had noted that <clears> as they uh, trap Scrooge McDuck, their whole point is that oh, you're you're the money, you're the buyer, the rich buyer of the nutmegs. We'll have you also be a tutor to us to teach us how to be rich. And so for the remainder of the story, we're going to have these like two simultaneously simultaneous uh, tutor tutelage sessions where the ducks are trying to teach them some pretty silly, frivolous stuff. And Uncle Scrooge is trying to teach them financial strategies. But they're going to be completely distracted by Donald's more frivolous, fun stuff
1: throughout. Yes. And of course, being a university professor, I feel not necessarily a kinship to, but I feel sorry for Uncle Scrooge, who is then forced to teach a given theme, getting rich, and is even tied uh, brutally (laughs) to a mass, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, he has no chance of keeping his students interested. Have you had uh, classes that
0: that feel like this? (laughs) No, I
1: (laughs) I think the answer would be not yet.
0: Right, right. Uh, um, the The bongos are not as distracting, maybe, as students just staring at their phone. No,
1: <laughs> indeed.
0: Um. So it's it's pretty funny that this part of the story, to me, it, it it it's maybe not the best part of the. This feels like maybe one of the weaker parts of the story to me, although it is pretty funny. <coughs> seeing them um, wailing away at the bongo drums. Th- this feels like culturally they should actually know more about the bongo yes. drums than the ducks should technically, mm. and they shouldn't be a atonal <laughs> or, or creating but, this cacophony. But whatever. again,
1: it's a way to get the structure of the storytelling well because, as you say, there are two simultaneous things going on with yeah. their two internal dramas, et cetera. So it's a way to structure that part. So then it's a way to get past uh, the points where the natural born musicians and so on.
0: Yes. Um, And and it's also a good way to transition us to the next sequence, uh, because the ducks are going to try to escape the, like, cacophony of of drum beats, and they're going to encounter a smell coming from a, a person who is a witch doctor stewing a, quote, batch of whatever it is he is famous. Mm-hmm. Um and initially they're afraid of him but then Donald's nobility kicks in because he's cursing his luck at having failed again with uh, whatever he it is that he's trying to <laughs>
1: And uh, I, I, since this is one of the occasions to use a couple of positive words about the famous Donald, who is sometimes too angry or stupid and so on and so on and so on. Here I've used the word noble too many times already, but he is also, he's courageous because instead of hiding, he, he fulfills his inner mission, being a good fellow from the rich America. So he boldly, courageously approaches the witch doctor saying, what seems to be a trouble, good fellow? Anything I can uh, help to remedy. So that's fantastic. It It is. Courage and boldness and a goodwill.
0: Yeah, that that, this seems to kind of encapsulate the um, nobility and maybe the failure simultaneously of the peace corps program in its early days again i think they're they're considered a, a strong organization after they get the kinks worked out but um he is very well intentioned he goes in with this good mindset but he's also he he's just blustering something that yes. he knows absolutely nothing about he has no cultural competency with this
1: with um, surprise the one additional Uh, cataclysmic extra ingredient, the nutmeg. So again, the nutmeg comes back to the story, and he creates Havoc Deluxe Buy this extra one component in the witch's brew.
0: Yeah, as you note, it's very good storytelling that we're bringing the nutmeg literally back into. Yes. It. The, it, it's funny the witch doctor says me never tried nutmegs, which you know they're they're all at hand. So it seems <laughs> yes. that seems a little bit far fetched. Um, I the witch doctor's mask, I, I'm sure is it's it's done for gag right it's it's not real but um but there is a very funny aspect to it where it it actually changes expression to kind of match the action i like that that's pretty funny even if uh, i think that's
1: a fantastic little detail that the big mask has facial expressions yeah. Lovely. It's, done. It's,
0: it's quite funny. So, as Donald cavalierly drops a nutmeg in, the whole concoction starts to pop and, and nearly explode. And he has to tip it into the lake before it sets the wood afire. And we see the witch doctor complaining about all the valuable ingredients that he's just lost. This seems like a nice bit of
1: Barks writing. Uh, do you yes. want to read that line of dialogue? Indeed, four buckets of butt whiskers, 60 scorpion tails. Two dozen viper fangs, sundry toadstools, vitamins and water drugs all down the chain. It's a fantastic recipe.
0: Yeah.
1: it Thai is this at home.
0: Um, right. Uh, so, you know, Donald has to skulk off and we transition back to Scrooge, who's just going hoarse, futilely trying to teach his lessons. Um, yes, the cooking class. And, and he eventually, you know, gives up and he asks the boys for a cup of hot water and a nutmeg. This is an interesting little bit. They, they ask, you going to make a megnog, Uncle Scrooge? Count us in. Um Yes. And uh, let's see. So we're we're transitioning to Donald now teaching the women uh, a cooking mm-hmm. class. And what is it that they are interested in learning?
1: Interestingly, they look uh, widely inspired by the chance to learn something new. And what do they pick? We've heard about fudge. Teach us to cook fudge. Yeah, fudge. So that's what they really want to learn. Interestingly. Yeah.
0: Uh, So again, Donald is just going to listen to what they actually want. So that's good. But it it is not aligned with the the mission of helping to make them, I think, more sufficient. So the nephews think to themselves, well, we're just going to be eating crocodile if we don't go get some food. And they kind of separate to get plantains, coconuts. And one nephew is going to go back to that little lake and catch a fish. Um, I think this is the part where the story becomes really, at at least when I think back to myself as probably age 10, this was my favorite part of the story. I found it the most animating. Yes.
1: And as Um, I say, this sort of transitions uh, the story and the readers into the the last part of the story. So we have been from the drug addict and nutbag and to the plane ride and the Core, peace, core, and so on and so on and so on, and to the drama, and to the distinction between an invited person and a not invited person, dot dot dot, and then we are on to the last chapter of the dramatic story. Right. Because he goes for a fish and he finds yeek. I said chout, not whale, because the concoction. By the witch doctor has caused something dramatic. This being a bark story, namely, all animals are getting dramatically bigger. Yes, thanks I, to the nutmeg once more.
0: Exactly, it, it is doing the opposite of hedging, it is yes. uh, causing them all to grow. I love all of that is every, fantastic. Every one of Bark's illustrations with the gigant, uh, yes. really engaging to me. Uh, um, the, the witch doctor. You know, calls it expando fluid. We've got a crocodile, a mosquito, panther, anteater, and armadillos. So Barbs yes. is taking <laughs> some care to to you know depict animals that are actually local to the Amazon. That'll be really interesting to see. Yes. Um, and we know that this is going to lead to some disaster. And and Scrooge, I we didn't note that he is specifically staked in a way. Yes. That you know he's he's like attached by his neck to
1: a pole. The local professor in financial theory, <laughs> right? Um, and
0: and so eventually, yes, is a
1: good word. yes good word. it is. The,
0: and and the natives, fortunately, they get annoyed by his yelling. That's um, bugging their music quote. So they're about to turn him loose when they're forced. The one turning him. The one that's about to release him is forced to flee suddenly because there is a giant armadillo rampaging through the village. This In is the most pretty
1: cool. In dramatic it's... spellbinding fashion. It's a fantastic drawing. So um, since you, on your podcast, typically ask for favorite panels, I think this might be one of my favorite panels. So Scrooge says uh, simply, I dramatically, Oh, my heavenly nutmegs. And he's still staked, to use that beautiful verb, And everyone is fleeing from the giant armadillo. So it's a dramatic life, dramatic situation.
0: Yeah. It's It's a great moment of peril. It's very exciting. It's very engagingly drawn. Um, I do love this sequence. Yes. And and the ducks are going to try to cut him down. There's a funny moment where they all swing their axes, and we get a, a kind of a visualization of the English aphorism, too many cooks spoil the broth. Yes, because... <laughs> this is,
1: we have the same. Uh, it's getting
0: every yeah, uh, uh, part of a little uh, moment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Because um, the, they all destroy their axes by doing it simultaneously. But but eventually, the armadillo just swats them away. Uh, I, I like there's a brief moment where Scrooge himself is very noble, saying, there isn't time, boys.
1: Leave me here and run for your lives. That, yes, that was neat. Yes, pretty noble. Um, yes, because at that moment, all five of them are in the classical, literal, life danger. Yeah. Exactly. As uh, far as the reader might know, well, the reader might be a better educated than that, but uh, the reader might be excused for thinking that they could die the next second. But right. surprised they don't.
0: Yeah, it is some pretty genuine peril. But, um, yes. but they are able to make it back to Scrooge's raft. Scrooge, of course, is still. This is important. He's still wearing that like manacle, the iron chain yes. around his neck. Um, and and they see that the raft will hold them all as long as they empty those nut <laughs> And of course, you know, Scrooge despairs at this. Um, and they they apparently have just one way to safety down the river past the village bend. I remember, Niels, at this this panel was the one that I I just I loved this panel. As no, a it's fantastic you mentioned. Yes, yes. Do you want to describe it for us?
1: So, again, uh, coming back to the storytelling skill sets and the mechanisms, etc., of which Bart was a master of many things. Of course, one thing here, well, a literary footnote is that it is often said by the Russian Anton Chekhov, who wrote all the masterpieces for theater, etc. So, uh, Anton Chekhov's sentence is If you uh, write a story with a gun on page one, the gun needs to be fired later in the story. So this is a case in part because the nutmegs are on page one, and they play so many roles down the roads of the story. So this is the last role of the nutmegs, because the only way they can survive is to glide on this raft on the river, and they need to be hiding for the... Horrible dentures, panthers, and armadillos, etc. And they do so by having uh, hidden themselves below a layer of nutmegs, which are also so sharp in taste that they are not detected. So that's a beautiful little final nutmeg uh, use in the story.
0: Yeah, it's it's fantastic. I appreciate your, your comment about uh, Chekhov's gun. That's a great one. <laughs> yes. um, it, it really is a brilliant way to resolve this moment of peril. And and I have to say that panel with the mm. panther, like waiting, yes. stalking its prey, um, yes. I, I think that's one of the most striking and I- intimidating panels that Bart yes. has drawn. I, I find it really animating. And it's- also,
1: not to not forget, they, they are really in life danger again. So, if you take the story sufficiently seriously, they could all be killed and eaten up in the next panel.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then that panther is just enormous. Um, And then, you know, even though you know they're going to be okay, that moment where they. are just maybe 20 feet from the panther's nose. It feels yes. very suspenseful. I like his narrator box. He says, so beneath the panther's nose to safety goes the raft load of fat, tasty ducks. There's it's just a, a sighing thought balloon coming from yes. the, the pile of nutmeg. The
1: uh, giant um, panther is fabulously drawn. Absolutely. It
0: really, it really yes. is. And and that pretty much completes the story. We get a little epilogue at home. Do you want to tell us how about how the story concludes?
1: So the little epilogue is a short uh, four frame thing because then back to Dirtburg. So by the way, um coming back to the broader Comments about the story. I think it's a fantastic story. And then after the semicolon, there's a little careful, however. And the however for me as a reader is that it ends a little bit too easily and a little bit too quickly because we go from the Jama 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 and the Giant Panther to back in Duckburg once more. So it's a little bit too quick. But anyway, they are back in Duckburn. And we still see, interestingly, that he is still having this, uh, what's the American word for the neck thing? His
0: Oh, his, uh, like, manacle, I think. <laughs>
1: yes, indeed. So still keeping that, which is keeps hidden. For Miss Faster and the others. Because the last comment is uh, with his famous not McD, so it's not he's heavy, having his daily shot and he avoids the drug addict trembling of his body. The last thing is I hope I can get this colour and chain cut off before somebody discovers what a I am. Where might be a liar which is stricken off by another person uh, using the word fibre instead. And right. I checked my Oxford dictionary, and fib is not quite the same as a liar.
0: Yeah, fibbing is like a little white lie in English, essentially.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, it, yes.
0: and, and I think the idea is that lying is something that the bad guy would do in this era of Disney comics. So I yes. think most people are assuming, as we are, that it probably said liar, um, some people I saw speculated that it might have said addict, but I don't think the evidence is there. I think I think that would be
1: um, an interesting twist at all. I don't believe it as uh, a sensible thing given 1962 and Barks and so on and so on and so on. But of course, if you want to put that 5% of conspiracy into it all, we can gladly do so and replace it Replace fiber with addicts and make it an even better story for the cream I mean, and the, the underground yes, people. Yes, exactly. Exactly. exactly proving it the point. Very, it, it,
0: it it's it's very satisfying for the kind of person who loves to read everything as like a drug use. As yes, as, why not? There, there's a certain person. Um, it's interesting. I actually actually liked this four panel coda. Yes. I thought this ending was pretty good because it. It resolves, you know, Donald getting fired um, for quote. Let's see. They said the top brass thought my teaching the Indians to make bongo drums and fudge was hardly enough to earn international goodwill. Um, <laughs> and Scrooge is reveling in his tea. And I and I think I think that the funny little reveal of the monocle at the end to me it lands. it, it is pretty funny. But I see what oh, you it's... mean about it. It being it is kind of abrupt, right? We did have this like high drama and adventure here. And then it's 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 just a pretty like it kind
1: of just stops. But it is a beautiful med code of all means. So I think. Vark scores very highly uh, for lots of the parameters we readers should ask ourselves about. He The storytelling is perfect and everything goes beautiful together at a time for some pages. There are two parallel stories simultaneously and the setting of the stage is perfect and the coda is beautifully made. So I, I give him good marks for... Uh, Everything in the story. So um, if we are on the page where we discuss the quality of the story, etc., we might be. Yeah. For me, it scores close to the top. And if there is something to be added after the semicolon and the however, mm-hmm. um, it is something about the story, which I even felt as a young kid when I read this, uh, that... Yes, it is dramatic. Yes, it is life-threatening. But we don't feel genuinely threatened as readers. We don't really believe that they're going to die the next minute. So possibly that's not necessarily a criticism of the piece, but it's a tentative neutral observation of the story. When I read it as a 10-year-old boy, and when I read it now, there's something about it. Possibly it's the... The element of gags, if there are too many gags which are made there to make you smile and laugh, then that takes possibly too much away from the danger. So I expect if we show this story to the average 10-year-old in the next room, that 10-year-old person might be liking the story. He might be he, she might be laughing and smiling, but he, she will not really be scared to death. Uh, but but again, I when I voice these uh, tentatively neutral comments, I don't see it as a Serious criticism of the story, but it's part of the storytelling effect.
0: Yeah, I think tonally it is meant to kind of—he is intending to do what he set out, right—is to poke gentle fun. So, in the service of that, the fear has to be tamped down. As you say, some of these gags, um, some of the stuff to kind of deflate the dane Although, in fairness, the the animals at the end, to me, did land very well, at, like yes. suitably Romans. threatening. But, but you're right, the ducks kind of wear what, what some people call plot armor in this story where we, we know that they're not really in any danger.
1: Um. So the literary test possibly should be you have the proverbial favorite seven-year-old person in the next room going to bed and you are reading that person a goodnight story. Should we read not this story or not? And possibly I would not read ancient Persia or interest disguise, because yeah. they are genuinely scary. Right. I could possibly picture myself reading this for my seven-year-old in the next room.
0: Yeah, the only challenge with this one is that there is a lot that you would have to contextualize. You and I well, understand, honest. of course, um, that the, the contemporary treatment was no different from other people. But of course, there's a lot that has aged poorly about this one. In fairness, Barks is is doing a nice job of kind of poking at some of the post-colonial attitudes, or I guess, present colonial (laughs) attitudes Mm. that are in this story. I I appreciate your thoughts. It sounds like this one lands pretty well to you. It's not quite like an all-time classic, but it's just a little bit below...
1: It's high up, but it's not among the top 15 stories ever. But yeah. it, it's uh, it's generally, superbly well told, and the ideas are flowing freely, and I like this uh, drug addict uh, 5% component of the story. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> right. uh, that uh, even Scrooge McDuck, who works 16 plus 8 hours a day, apparently, just like a professor, of course, Uh, that he has this daily ritual and he is scared and is trembling like the proverbial drug addict if he doesn't get his daily fix i think that's a fantastic element of the story i I agree
0: i definitely agree i really like things explore like scrooge having a secret vice that seems like a great angle to explore. I like this story a lot. I remember as a kid, I, I, I was just totally into jungle animals. So I ate this. Okay, stuff. I see. Um, Okay. I, I really, I remember, I recall reading it quite a bit as a kid. Um, with the benefit of hindsight, I think this is at least a strong story, maybe a little bit above average. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's, I probably think less of it than you are characterizing, but I think still think it's slightly yes. better than an average story. And I was surprised. at how much I, I enjoyed it Revis um for for packing a lot into just 18 pages it's really accomplishing a lot
1: in a really yes. nicely structured it's so tightly composed and the yeah. tempo is so musical it doesn't right. waste the panels and pages and half pages on telling things that the reader has already somehow understood so that's the well-pacedness Yeah,
0: I think that's a good uh, way to describe it. It does kind of feel like a well-composed, almost musical story. One benefit of just being... You know, a forty-something man now who's thinking about these from a different perspective is that I know what he was going for at this point, which is this gentle critique of the Peace Corps and the idea. You know, Kennedy. This is where Kennedy's famous: "Ask not what you can do for your uh, yourself, but what you can do for your country." Like this. That is. This is specifically what it's talking about. Um, So. I can ask myself, was he successful at what he set out to do? And I think he very much was. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's just another measure by, by which I can kind of consider this. Mm-hmm. But I, I found it very mm-hmm. enjoyable. And, you know, one mm-hmm. of my talking points, Niels, for this uh, podcast is to check in on what the community overall thinks as measured yes. by people's votes on index. Mm-hmm. So. Um, this one has a 7.47, which is good mm-hmm. for number 309 as of right now on index. And that okay. places it in the top 67%, or I guess a, a better way of describing it would be in the bottom third of okay. um, of Barks. Ad, that's for his adventures, because I have a yes. spreadsheet that it, it doesn't end up being fair to compare the 10 pagers with the gag stories with no um so the community overall thinks that this is weaker
1: for bark stories
0: so i guess i'd say that this one is a little bit underrated um is my kind of
1: instinct i would like to have pushed that up from the 67 percent quantile or the bottom third to at least above the median to use such terms uh, even though those terms are not very important etc but there are so many strong positive qualities which contribute to making this a very good story and of course we are by definition talking barks which is top class uh, almost regardless of what it does but i think it is a super story and it's not among my top 25 to take any number of that scale but it's uh, absolutely above Fifty uh, percent.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's right. I feel like it clocks in a little
1: um, x. And also, as the prototypical proverbial grown-up like you, uh, the famous uh, what is the word you're using? The um, grown-up men who enjoy the comics we belong oh, to club. A, a grown uh, I, man. I, I, yeah. I, I, I do like this additional cultural historical aspect being present when we reread this as grown-ups. That there is a, there's a background, we are talking US 1962, we are talking Kennedy, the Peace Corps, we are talking the ugly American, we are talking what to do with all the nations if we are in a position to try to help them etc etc so i think that contributes to some extra bonus points on my scale
0: yeah uh, one of the things i love about these stories really a great way to understand and contextualize history sometimes mm. what, a, what a great illustration of how the peace corps may or may not play out mm. um, and i, I want to be fair i think there are people who have been very helpful and successful in the Peace War. But I know that this is is definitely a criticism that has been levied. N- Niels, I think we had a great discussion here. I'm going to transition to wrapping it up and going to the segment where we can revisit. You'd, you'd mentioned a couple of your favorite panels, um, but we can kind of consider if there are any additional ones that you know we didn't get to dwell on. But before we do that, I always like to also consider if the story has had any kind of adaptations or follow-ups. There is a very notable one to mention. So, so this was a story that Don Rosa did a pretty okay. notable follow-up is- for, right? Yeah. He used, um, he mixed elements of this one and uh, Forbidden Valley yes. into a story called Escape from Forbidden Valley. Um, is- so I do like to note if if Rosa or another creator has ever done a notable follow-up. So so what about it? You you mentioned a couple of your favorite panels. Are there any others that you would like to? uh kind of highlight here
1: i do like the one possibly i did mention it when we were talking But all the spears pointing to poor old scrooge oh yeah you will receive the famous de treatment but possibly my favorite among them all would be the giant armadillo and oh my heavenly nutmegs where we see everyone in the village are fleeing for their lives etc So it's scary and it's well-made and it's a perfect position in the story.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, the, Those animal ones, just because they're so well drawn, I definitely would yes. have to call those out. A couple that might be less obvious that I, I really caught myself enjoying were the panels that showed Scrooge staked to the ground, just absolutely screeching, trying yeah. to get his like uh, teachings to the natives. And likewise, I found the panels that showed him like with the, the nutmeg jitters to be very well drawn and very yeah. That's
1: fantastic. I was about to mention the uh, on the bottom of page two, the two things there with uh, Miss Cockfosters. So when we see, it's easy to portray him as a drug addict. To to spin further in that direction.
0: Yeah, there, there's some really um, wonderful dialogue too. If you had pointed. Let's see. So I think uh, I think we've said all there is to be said about this story. Um Good. I would definitely like to encourage people to you know check out the story that you have the writing credit for. It's called. What is the official title? The speed, the annual speed skating race. Of race bird the race.
1: Ducks. Ducks. Yes, <laughs> which indeed. is
0: great. Um And then look out for your forwards in some of those Norwegian volume, uh, if mm. you are one of our Norwegian listeners, which I will note is the uh, country that is number two for our audience. Okay. Um, And then... You can you can follow the podcast on on Facebook and occasionally on Instagram at Barks Remarks and reach out at Barks Remarks at Gmail. And hopefully uh, people will join us for the next episode in which we'll get to cover um, one of the earlier Magic of the Spell stories, Oddball Mm -hmm. Odyssey. We'll get to see her return. Mm -hmm. Um, Niels, it's been a real pleasure to have you on. I hope we can have you back. It's a privilege. Thank you very much, Mark.